Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now everyone can see that something big is happening and the system that we know so well is slowly unraveling and everybody everywhere stands to be affected and the word of the day is unprecedented it's been a really 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 strange day the only thing we know for sure is everything has changed strange day oh yes indeed i'm gonna keep on washing them until my hands are clean it's all going on jay there you go well at least we've both had our fat now Right, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's it's it. a table, actually. It's a new kitchen table. Oh, very nice. For a new house. I've just moved to Bristol. I saw that on your Instagram, actually. The Brizzle. Great. I want to tell you a story to start this off. So I haven't really been here since moving because I moved in just after Christmas and I spent, I think, the first week it was whilst I was in Bristol basically self-isolating because I've just right, done okay. this like monster truck arena tour. And ahead of that, I wasn't allowed to go anywhere or see anyone because obviously if I caught COVID, I wouldn't be able to host the show. All oh, right. So but... you was isolating without having COVID just in order to not get it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was. I, I had to sign like a COVID clause. So um, I haven't been anywhere. I haven't really hung out in Bristol. And then I went and did these shows. So today was kind of my first day in Bristol, um, walking around, seeing the town. And I put on... Uh, Survival of the Friendliest, the latest record, mm-hmm. I listened. And then I went backwards uh, to Knee Deep in Nostalgia and the other one you put out in 2020, which is called... The Unforeseeable Future. Those three records. And I've got to tell you this, man. I was walking around Bristol, and part of this as well is I've recently given up everything. So, like, 
drugs, everything, booze, <laughs> cigarettes, everything, sex, yeah, even sex. I'm I'm actually at the moment consciously celibate. Um, basically, anything in my life that was leading to bad decisions and situations, which okay. for me, which for me actually presently did include, um, you know, sexual relationships. Right. Um, wow. Because I was only having like one night stands, you know, when drinking with, you know, problematic people, let's say. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm like living the life of a monk. So also through the process of doing that, as you know, when you kind of do make that decision to come off things like nicotine, I mean, nicotine, especially your body and your mind changing and transforming sure. and you, you begin to smell and taste and experience life almost like in HD mm -hmm. for the first time because the fog has cleared. So I'm walking around Bristol. I'm listening to your music. Uh, you know, it's a new year. It's a beautiful day here. I'm not sure what it's like down where you are, but the sun is shining. The sky is blue. Nice. It's beautiful here. And I'm listening to your three records. And I started weeping, dude. I started crying. Happy tears. Good tears. I was going to say, surely tears of joy. Well, I don't know. I guess need uh, unforeseeable future has probably got some fucking miserable songs on it. But we'll, uh, we'll get into we'll, we'll get into that one because the last time I had you on the show was just before all of this madness that we slipped into. It was January 2020. It was when it was me face to face, wasn't it? It was face to face, face, face. before times. Yeah. And um, we've got loads to catch up on. But I just wanted to start, yeah, the chat off by telling you that I'm in a really positive place in my life. And, and having your music in my head as I was walking around Bristol today, because you are such a positive, beautiful storyteller and just a really a great guy, a great human being and somebody that I'm so privileged and, and you know happy to know. And I just felt this really overwhelming sense of joy and like contentment whilst walking around Bristol, like everything was in its right place. And, and you were the soundtrack to that moment. And um, yeah, I just, I wanted to let you know that I, appreci yes. I appreciate you a lot, dude, as an artist and as a human being. And I think whenever we've met and hung out, you always give off and this comes across in your music too. Anybody who listens to your stuff will know this, but you're a good guy. You're a really good guy. And, and the world is infinitely richer for having you in it. So I just Great. wanted I to think say that's that. the end of the podcast. We've got that done. <laughs> Another one in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> Upload that motherfucker. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, thank you for the kind words. I mean, the certainly the um, the kind of mission statement for the newest album, Survivor of the Friendliest, um, was that you know, and that was what my heart was saying at the time. And it was it was written this time last year. You know, pretty dark times, but I didn't feel like that. Like it was something about the mood that was going on i actually I, I thought a lot about it and i put a lot of it down to um having a creative output i mean as you know with when covid hit i wrote a whole album about that i'd already written an album about climate catastrophe and the fucking tory government and stuff like that and when things were really dark and it's, i didn't want to sing about any of that i didn't want to moan or whinge about the world i didn't want to add anything that was going to scare everyone i wanted to I wanted to celebrate the things that were, you know, that still could be celebrated in this world we live in. And that was definitely my mindset. I found myself during that, that period searching out good stories, basically. Like I read a book called Humankind by a guy called Rutger Bregman, which is, you know, all about, it's called like a, it's like a retelling of history about why humans are actually great. We just like focus on negatives a lot. And that's where I got the title, Survivor of the Friendliest, is like straight out of that book. And um, 
it was just I was searching things for books and sort of moments. And also I just sort of felt like what when, you know, like, what do I want to be presenting to the world at the moment? Do I want to be standing up there and saying, fucking hell, ain't it bad? You know, like there's no hope. It's like, no, you know, like if I'm not naive to the problems that we face, but in order to fucking, you know, live up to them and be able to do anything, we need to be, I truthfully believe we need to be strong of heart and mind, you know, and we need to be sort of in a good place and know what's fighting for. So that was kind of the, the sort of mindset of, of survival of the friendliest. And from the whole process, it was, it was one of the most affecting albums that I've made. And, you know, I've made a lot of records as well, but it was, it was something about it just, it just being solid positivity from front to back, writing the songs made me feel great. You know, like you just singing them over, over. And I was like, yeah, man, things are good. You know, sort of falling for my own bullshit a little bit. And then it was like, um, the recording process was the same. Again, you constantly repeating the songs over and over. They turn into like a mantra. So whatever song you're recording and the people that you're recording with are obviously going to soak up whatever energy you put into that song. And this, we did a week. So I recorded it with Blaine Harrison from the Mr. Jets and Jack Fanagan. Um, and we did a week here where I am now in this studio at the bottom of my garden recorded and wrote a bunch of the sort of music the songs were written and then we went to a studio in Ramsgate called Big Jelly and it was like we started on solstice and it was like sunny outside we was going swimming in the sea watching sunsets coming back and just singing these really positive songs and it made everybody feel amazing we was like finishing takes like oh my god like really elated by the whole thing and 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 straight away then I was just like I can't wait to take this on the road and be able to step up on stage in a time when everything, everybody's a bit beaten down by life or whatever, and just be able to stand there and be like, isn't everything fucking great? You know, I just go completely against the grain. And it has been, I mean, because we started the tour, I did like 20 dates in December. And that was, you know, I'd, I'd sort of always open the show with being like, look, I know there's a lot of shit going on, but rather than me commenting on it, should we just forget about everything? And for an hour and a half, let's just concentrate on celebrating the good things. And I kind of ditched all my sort of whingy songs out of my set list. And sort of because I just figured no one wants to hear it right now. Music has a lot of great reasons for existing, doesn't it? But one of them is certainly to be able to forget your troubles and just live in the moment for, you know, for the time of, of the gig. And it was and it was again, the, the tour was super powerful, like because it felt like having these songs as ammunition going so far against the grain. It was just like, yeah, it felt fucking beautiful, didn't it, night after night, basically. Well, you touch on a couple of things there I want to pick your brain about because I do feel like at the moment, and this has been the way I think even before COVID, but that certainly intensified this feeling, is like everybody is so quick to see the negative. And negativity is a very overriding theme in today's society and like whatever aspect of life that is there's always this kind of readiness i think to jump on you know the topic or a person or, or the or the viewpoint and, and see it in like a kind of a catastrophic way and well, certainly a divisive way certainly a divisive way and i think everybody is well within their rights to kind of be on edge in that sense because there is a lot of uncertainty and unrest and division and, you know, that there's discontent around every corner. But I feel like in this time, it's almost radical and revolutionary to be somebody who's just standing out there and saying, like, let's be positive. 
and positivity for me feels very against the grain at the moment like it does and so someone like you i think that's why it really overwhelmed me today is i just you know and there's other artists doing it you're not like isolated on this island of <laughs> joy and it's only you <laughs> but it, <I'm> so happy. <laughs> there's certainly like less and less of them and um you know and obviously art should always tackle and challenge as you have always done as well you know and it should highlight the you know the flaws in every element of society and you know sure. and where we're at and and you, as you say you're a realist you don't bury your head in the sand you're not naive you're informed um but i just i found it so empowering and hopeful to hear somebody kind of just be like no actually there's a lot to be worried about of course and there's a lot going on that is bad but life can be beautiful it's all kind of and this is very hippie-ish and i've only been in bristol a week and it's the vibe here is already <laughs> infecting me yeah. but you know life really is what you make it isn't it even in these worst of times you can still well, live a positive existence if you want to and it's it's strange that it's so often seen as the worst of times because I think if you took anybody and took them back to pretty much any other time in human history, see how they like the fucking work and the you know and the let's the, go to the medieval ages, yeah, 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 yeah. And fucking yeah. the sort of I mean that's a lot of what the hope uh, that book is about. It's just like you know most of human history is fucking hard, brutal, ugly, downright fucking mean. You know, and it's actually, it's a testament to our society, the fact that we're so critical of it, even though we've got so much, you know, like we we've never had it so good. Yeah, never had it so good. But at the same time, I suppose the difference is, is probably in the whole of human history, there was a, a strange hope as if people were moving forwards towards something good. And they had sort of religion and stuff like that in their hearts. Now we've kind of been stripped of some kind of, it's all we're told is that, you know, like there's just a big, you know, ball of fire ahead, basically. And there's not much to look forward to. So we kind of like, we've got everything and we're struggling with a with a sort of emptiness at the same time and a kind of, I don't know, like a weird guilt and all that stuff. I mean, as far as the kind of the modern guilt, to me, that feels like people, it's like, I've got no time for that, really. It's like, it sounds like another fucking religion, isn't it? You know, it's like beating people up over their... You know, the society is built and we've got to act in it and, and do, you know, do what we think is right. I don't know about constantly feeling like that I've done something wrong, you know, or it seems it feels like it feels like an old school religious thing to take on guilt for, I don't know, your circumstances and stuff like that. Um, and, and there's also judgment around every corner more than ever, I feel like yes. as well, which, you know, and part of that is obviously positive. And, and part of this need and, and, and want to highlight the flaws in, you know, a business model or in a government's take on an issue or, you know, even just within like a human resource element of, of a company, like there's a lot of things which can be called to task and improved in the process, but it can also go too far the other way. And like, you know, I think everybody has to want to improve right you can't force someone you can't go you're a piece of shit be different now because all that really does is i think breed resentment and like yeah i mean you can i think it's i've without wanting to quote my own songs but it does feel a little bit like tv problems i mean i think the idea of everybody having a platform it's basically come from the you know it's like everybody's got a platform so it's turned into a bit of a shit show but i think that that you know like you can't put the genie back in the bottle you know like we it's 
it, it, I feel like people will kind of get used to this. Everybody's got a platform without feeling the need to, yeah, constantly sort of kind of belittle or question other people's bits. Well, certainly we need to, don't we? Like I said, I think because if people feel, um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's like the constant judgment and stuff like that. It's like, it can't be, I mean, I don't feel it. And I constantly put stuff out. In, into the world and I think that um maybe people if people are, are sort of worried about well the people are worried are the ones with skeletons aren't they <laughs> let's be real maybe that's a lot, it a yeah lot but then them. but then that's then that's kind of going back to the other that's also you know being held accountable is you know is something that, that should fucking happen isn't it yeah. so it is I it, it's you know it's a fucking minefield isn't it? You it know, is. And um... do you know the one thing I don't like is I feel like a lot of the cancel culture trend has popularized bullying. And what I mean by that is it's very easy now to jump on someone and attack them for something they have or supposedly have done. And I feel like a lot of mean spirited people who just like bullying people have hopped on board the cancel culture train so they can just basically verbally attack strangers that they don't know and almost like vent whatever the ugliness goes on inside of them. And like, if you're a target of that, it's like your fair game. Does that make sense? It does, but I just don't see that if someone's, you know, if someone's messages, I don't see it as necessarily being attacked. It only exists. You know, it's probably the person that's bitching about someone else. In my head, I'd read into more as the problems probably theirs, you know, like the person attacking. Yeah. 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 That's what um, I'm saying. Yeah. And yeah, I try not to get too stuck into it or think too much about that world. I think it's kind of like, I think it's actually quite a small. Well, it um, only exists online. I think it's quite a small issue that that constantly gets bumped to the, to the top of every conversation, basically. Like right now. (laughs) Let's move on. Let's move on. (laughs) Well, I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this. Like you've always been, a spiritual dude i think and you've always been engaged in the human experience and you know adventure's always been important to you and connections always been important to you and just because selfishly i'm in a place in my life now where i'm kind of making certain changes i'd love to know how your life changed when you cut out you know more of that reckless side of, of living because there's definitely like a spiritual aspect to partying i believe to a point but there also comes a time when it does just become kind of a bit destructive and you know the lows outweigh the highs and you're no longer getting these beautiful positive experiences so when you obviously you talk about it in the first book that you did you got yeah. your last e as it were um how did when you look back now how did things begin to kind of shift and, and transform and change within your life and your engagement with the world around you when you made that change? Well, I mean, my mine was more physical than it was mental. I actually still think that my kind of, my head and my heart were actually fine with the amount of sort of hard drugs I was doing. It was, it was my voice it was <laughs> more than anything. You know, it was the, the well, which is kind of in. your signature for a while there well, as well. It, wasn't it, it? it yeah. very much was, you know, when I started, you know, I was the guy singing about, you know, smoking fags and doing coke with a voice that proved I'd smoked a lot of fags and done a lot of coke. So it was like, it, it, it sort of, it ticked a lot of boxes, but it got to the point, it was like constantly getting worse. You know, the more, the songs were getting more popular, which was just made, meant more fags and more coke, more late nights. And, uh, and, and then just one day it was at Glastonbury, my spiritual home. Um, I had this like mental class day and I woke up in the morning and I just couldn't talk. 
and I had this lump in my throat um, and that's not a, me being metaphorical. It was like a physical lump in my throat. I couldn't, I couldn't talk. And, you know, I had, I laid there in my little bell tent behind the left field stage, knowing that I wouldn't be able to talk for a few days and had something of an epiphany where it was just like, I could either keep on smoking and doing coke or I could sing basically. And, uh, and so I just stopped. And within a week of cutting out like pills, coke and fags, within a week, I had another gig the next weekend. And not that anybody else would have heard it because I was still, you know, gruff as fuck. But like, for me, it was the easiest gig I'd ever played just from one week of the fact my voice had come back an insane amount. And I think normally when people have to give up something they're addicted to, you don't normally get much back in return, do you? It's not, uh, it's not done that way. But I had this physical thing where I was like, each week my voice got better, you know, over the course of, of years, you know, and it's just like, and so it was very, very easy because it was just like, well, it was clear as day, you know, with, with a physical thing. And I would actually not, um, this might not be what, what you want to hear for your spiritual journey. No, but, I, um, I just want to hear your truth. Well, I mean, the, um, it, I, I sort of made a point of still kind of attending the gatherings and still being there. And Dude, I just started working at a mate's pub. Yeah, um, well, and also because I still want to be down the boozer and right, yeah, I, I want to be I'm around that still, just not partaking myself. Sure, I never, I, I never gave up drinking. If anything, that probably ramped it up a little bit more because that wasn't <laughs> a physical, a physical problem. Um, and so I just, but I, I mean, certainly with the, I found, I guess, addictions a little bit like. Uh, kind of junk food or advertising you know the less the more advertising I see the less I want to buy and like the 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 further I was away from the gear you know like the less I wanted it really and uh and I sort of when I was in my heyday I thought that everyone was doing coke all the time you know and that was because wherever I went wherever I went I thought it just appeared and it turns out that I was actively searching for it and when I stopped searching for it it vanished and I went like it, it went you know, even I remember sort of maybe two or three years after I'd stopped actually sort of physically laying eyes on a line for the first time, being like, what, how did that, how did I go from seeing so many? So it just not, it just, and I was still, I was still, still around in the vicinity, but just from like, so it's definitely switch a switch. I stopped wanting it. And, you know, I have absolutely no inkling, you know, to, to do it ever again. That was what I was going to ask. Do you miss it at all? No, not really. I mean, what's the point? You know, I could sort of like, I, I, I struggled to really. I mean, I can sort of think back to some sort of like glorious times on ease, you know, in the sunshine on the roof of a building, sort of having this sort of like feeling of ecstasy. But I can't, re- not, I can't, not with Coke. I can't remember back and think, God, yeah, that was really good. It's yeah. Definitely quite, uh, it's, uh, um, well, so everybody knows what Coke is. It's quite a self-centered drug. It doesn't doesn't lead to the same experiences, I think. So, no, I, I mean, but I wouldn't. I also, sort of may, I, I wouldn't sort of sit and ponder it again. The switch has been switched. So, well, you're very much a nice forward it, dude, but, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a line in one of your songs I heard today where you're talking about doing a hat trick like three nights in a row and, and you say something to the effect of like looking back on that now, it seems insane. And that's the other thing, isn't it? Is like the longer you, and I've only been a few months away from that kind of stuff, but like the longer you are, you look back to certain things which you achieved if you want to frame it that way. And you think like that is just 
berserk like that's pure that, insanity that's pretty horrific that that line actually means um a, a hat trick actually means uh pulling meeting three different girls on three different nights oh is that what that was i <laughs> thought you were talking about three big work it's kind of big three nights, di- but... three big nights. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which does seem insane now Rocking. that's uh, what the one night stand heydays yeah god i feel weird even saying that out loud but that's what that line's doing that's what that line meant well dude there was i mean i almost welled up in a kind of a in a different way when i was listening to the once is it once upon a time yeah that is, it, is that song yeah yeah, yeah. it's about the, the camden heydays yeah i mean that just made me not just in terms of my life but it made me think about a time and i don't know maybe you could share some thoughts on this do you think we will ever go back to a world and this might seem a little bit like melodramatic or whatever but after covid right there's obviously been a huge shift in in everything um certain things will come back other things i think are gone forever now um do you think just that world that you know you and i came of age in um the freedom of it do you think that will ever come back obviously shows and things will return but do you yeah, think of course of course it will. I mean not for me and you but for teenagers and 20 year olds of course I'm sure I'm sure that it already exists you know like I think the the kind of if you think about the kind of 19 20 year olds they're that because they had don't have this sort of economic value their story of the last couple of years has been widely ignored you yeah. know unless you was locked in a university dorm you know like chances are you was with your parents and just like no one's telling your story and you know <laughs> i'm sure they were fucking up to something <laughs> you know like we just don't know about it because we're old and we're not we're not tapped into it and like a lot of, when people kept saying oh you must be really gutted there's there's no glasgow this year and i was like well i am you know but i've been to glasgow 20 times you know, it's going to be someone's first ever glasgow you know i'd feel more more worried for them but yeah i think that um times like that of course well you know like youthful sort of hedonism you know ain't gonna go away because of a three-year pandemic three years and counting you know but uh that that ain't gonna that ain't gonna stop you know like the beauty of of of, of sort of like enjoying music and other people in your in your 20s i hope so man because yeah i think that so much beautiful art whether it's music or photography or i know drama theater whatever it is so much good stuff comes from those years doesn't it those key formative loose explorative years when you're finding your personality you're finding your you know discovering your worldviews you're hooking up with people and exploring the world and just getting up to all sorts of of mischief it's a glorious time in one's life isn't it it sure is yeah that's that song sort of touches on it it's a beautiful tune yeah <laughs> it's so dude are you not doing the cruise this year no no livid livid yeah ask them after you have to uh, uh, like when you get there be like where where's beans i'm sure everybody i'll put in be. a formal complaint yeah <laughs> i mean I, I, is this the first one you've not done yeah it is is it, it is. like a weird subject like have you no have you... not at all i mean i sort of i mean in in all fairness i would need to sort out my visa you know that my visa run out i mean this is boring stuff for a podcast <laughs> but, um but um yeah i would i probably could have could have done and would have done that but um for whatever reason the call didn't come through so um but i think hopefully next year 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I want to ask you about the new book. The first book I absolutely adored. I read cover to cover. I haven't had the time to digest the whole of the second book, but I've dipped into a few chapters. And Frank says it best in the foreword. Um, you know, you're, you've always been a storyteller. Your songs have always been stories. But it's almost seamless how well your style and your voice made that subtle segue. Well, I guess it's not a subtle segue, actually. It's a very, I think, drastic change in format from a song to you know, the written word. First of all, when you were writing the first book, did you have to, you know, kind of like find your voice? Did it take you a while to find your voice in the written form or was it a very easy shift? Because it seems easy. seamless. Yeah, it was like, it's so different from writing a song. Um, like when you're sort of writing a song, you kind of start with nothing and you, you know, you want to create something which is what I've always loved about songwriting. Whereas like writing the book, the stories in the book, I mean, number one, they happened. Number two, I've been recounting them and retelling them ever since they have happened, you know, like the following week, the following month, the following four years, I've been saying them stories bit on stage or to two people, you know, like for years and years. And that, and I think the telling them of them over the years has, has probably sharpened them up as well. And, you know, they're still true, but it's probably sort of made them a bit more story form. So it was, um, it, it wasn't a case of creating anything. It was a case of putting it on paper. I knew exactly what I wanted to say. Um, and it felt a little bit like homework. Like it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it writing it down, but it was just like, I'd have to just be like, because I did it on the first one. I did mostly on a train in Europe. Uh, in Europe, I was traveling alone on the train in Germany. And I was just like, I've got three hours every day by myself on my computer. I can't just waste it watching bloody Game of Thrones or something. So I need to, you know, get stuck into it. Very quickly, this is what I love about you. Um, and this is why I think I massively am just drawn to your body of work and, and you know, enjoy your 
approach to everything you do is that level of productivity just never dips you know it's an album every year it's oh i've got a window of time on tour i'm going to use that and not just zone out you've always been that way and i love that about you we will circle back to that as well and maybe where that comes from but yeah so the first one's written on tour on trains yeah and it was just like just getting it you know it's just like i didn't tell anyone i was going to write a book there's a, uh, one of my favorite songwriters a guy called todd snyder he wrote a book um called I Haven't Met a Story I Didn't Like. Again, just recount a lot of his um, travel stories and the stories he tells on stage into a book. And I was just like, it's, you know, all right, I just just started it. And yeah, it was just like, it just came together really easy. Once I got the, the, the most of it done, it was just like, then it was just time. It was just like, right, it's going to take a while to do. And I just need to, the willpower just to sit down and do it. But it wasn't, yeah, it was, it wasn't really like being creative. I mean, obviously I wanted the words to sound nice, but it was like just getting it down. And I think that's what, why it sounded so So many people say when they read it, they can hear me, you know, like Telling talking it. to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, um, which is, you know, perfect ultimately. And I think that's, I'm not, you know, the truth is I struggle to write a fucking Facebook post without free spelling mistakes and shit like that. You know, it was just like, I just smashed it down and just got other people to spell check it. She didn't think, didn't think too much about it. Just got it down. And uh, yeah, you know, was, was really, really happy with the first one. And it, it filled, a, a, it kind of ticked, it ticked a box. It actually turned out to be a very good business move as well. As much as it was done for creative reasons, it was like when CDs started dropping off, like I do a lot of traveling by myself. I can't fucking carry vinyl and t-shirts and stuff like that around. CDs were always perfect because you could chuck like 30 CDs in your bag, flog them over a weekend. And then when less people want CDs, books are brilliant. They sell really well at merch. You know, you can sign them, you can carry them. They're not precious because the thing is I can't carry vinyl because I'm, I just fucking drop it and kick it around and stuff like that. Whereas books are quite durable. So they're just like a brilliant touring companion to keep, to get my, you know, keep me on the road basically. So it was just, and, and I think it just sold, like I, out, I outsold my records with my books. If you know what I mean, more people, because you couldn't listen to it on Spotify or something like that was, you needed the physical product. I mean, there was an audio book, but you needed the physical product. So I just sold a lot more and it was just like really surprised, surprised me. And it was like, you know what a, what a fucking win and i never thought i'd write another one i was just like you know what well this is what i wanted to ask you is um i presume you didn't have a second one maybe in mind so did you just go for gold with the first and almost put like all the best stories in the first not that the quality yeah. of the stories in the second are any lesser because they're not but my publisher gave me a really key piece of advice when i was writing my first book he was like basically he said it in a less crass way than this but he said don't blow your load on the first book and yeah. try and get everything in there because you'll want to write more and if you just cram all the gold in the first one then where do you go from there that's i mean that's exactly what i did do i was just like you know i wanted i was like it's going to be 10 stories what are what are the 10 best but it wasn't tips. yeah but it also it wasn't like a long list that i scrubbed some out and then it was like oh these these ones are left over it was i mean because the other thing once i'd written the book i sort of banned myself from ever telling them stories to people ever again well that's you know? also smart because then you can oversat because i remember when we did the first chat on the show i think you were very hesitant then to even yeah. recount any of the details of the stories on the show and i like and that because again I mean, it's it, like if you want to hear them they're in the book but otherwise i'm done telling them yeah i just imagine this sort of me sort of chatting to a stranger at a gig and sort of like 
pissed, go off on a ramble thing. And they're like, yeah, mate, we've read the book. We know this, you know, like I'm one, I'm always one for the people that are closest to me, listen to me repeating myself all the time. You know, I just say the same shit over and over and just sort of rehash it. So it's like by getting it in the book, it was like, you know, that's out the window. I can't, I can't bring myself to say them anymore. So it kind of drew a bit of a line, which I guess in turn maybe spun up a few others, you know, like that then sort of rose yeah. to the to the new top 10. And there is a, not you not wanted to spot it, there is a kind of like semi-fictional story uh in there, which I actually kind of was conceived when I was 19. You know, so I sort of went back a bit further. Do you not want to say which one that is? Do you want to keep it's that? The op- I mean, I, I mean, fuck it. Yeah, it's the, it's it's the, the opening Tesco. chapter. Yeah. yeah. And what it was, like, when um, Dave Danger, who you know, so my best mate, who we grew up together, when he used to work at Tesco, and we used to sit around planning a robbery of the Tesco's that he worked at, you know, just two <laughs> sodas in a Ford Fiesta in Essex. And we just, like, we worked out some pretty nifty ways of, how we'd rob it and how we'd escape and stuff like that, get away with all the money. And we, we even did the sums as to how much money we thought there was going to be there. And we had, you know, it's just, you know, two teenagers, two teenagers fucking shooting the shit. And, but I'd remembered it all. So I was like, well, I can turn that into a story that we did. And it like turned into a fictional story that we do actually rob Tesco's. And, and I start off the book with that. And then say, it feels like my first book where it's like me and Dave were smoking weed in a fiesta. Blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, and then we fucking rob Tesco's and we fly to LA and all this shit. And then it's like the second chapter says, okay, you know, that was bullshit, but the rest of the stories are true. So there was, you know, I think once I got that one, that idea down for the second book, I was like, that is fucking, that's a great way for it to start. It will differentiate it a little bit from, from the last one. And, uh, yeah, you know, the other the other stories I think were, were all worth going in there. And I, I, I supposed that I, I would hope that I learned some stuff from doing the first one to the second one, sort of like maybe if the stories were the top 10, the second one stories got a little bit more sort of care and attention into how they were presented. But, you know, they've both sort of performed equally. Um, and, you know, in you know, in my own little world, um, they're, they're a success. You know, and like people seem to seem to like them both. And I do. I mean, it's it, it's weird. I was definitely something that um, very proud of myself about a book because, like, I just never ever would have thought that that would be something I would do. You know, write a book and and get you know and and get it out. And I still sort of hold it, and it's like fucking. You know, it's legit, and it's like wow, nice one. Yeah, it's a beautiful feeling, man. It's a beautiful feeling. And I think that, you know, it's a testament to just your skill as a storyteller that the book kind of not only has performed well, but it's it's there and it's like, it's just a, an equal window into your soul as any song I found fr- from the parts that I've read. And like, there's a brilliant, um, just as a quick like sidestep, there's an amazing John Waters book. I don't know if you've read this, but it's about... Um, I can't remember the title, but it's, it's, I think it's his only book, so it's easy to find. And the format of it is he decides he's going to go on a road trip across America. And, and basically, the first third is like what he wishes and dreamt happened on this journey. So it's all fictional, insane stories right. of what, what he would have loved to have occurred. The second part is like nightmarish, horrible visions of everything going wrong. And then the third and final part is what actually happened. Oh, and wow. It's, nice. And it's a really cool mix. And like you from where you are now could go into entirely 
fictionized stories or you could go into half and half like now you've done that first chapter presented in that way of like grounded in truth but you know that there, there, there's storytelling fictitious elements you could now mix that even more with a third book and go off into basically becoming like you know a novelist and an author stephen king go i'll do horror <laughs> i mean dude you must have been in some horrific situations over the years that you could yeah. <laughs> just from the road stories man unbelievable have you ever done like and this might be my ignorance so sorry if it is but have you ever done a tour and i know your shows are half and half well not half and half but there's storytelling elements but have you ever done a, a set tour where it is like here's a yeah. story here's i did it song. i did it for here's the a... first for the first book i did right. it i called it a sitting on a chair tour um and seated audiences and amazing me, how, and me, how were they sat down brilliant i mean like it's there wasn't a huge it's strange because what i was doing was very similar perhaps a bit more chatty but the 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 feeling of the room if you sit people down you know the same people the same 200 people could be at a pub and it'd be larry and it'd be like a normal beans and toast gig loud blah, blah. you sit everybody down and it's like Fucking hell. I found it really self-indulgent because I was like, everybody's listening to every word I'm saying because my gigs are normally quite leery. And uh, I sort of, I kept on saying, look, if you need a piss, you just get up and go. I just worry that there's someone going like, oh my God, I'm dying for a piss or I want a drink. But like, um, so it was, I mean, it was lovely. Um, a really nice tour, really fun. And I've done, um, I did Cheltenham Literary Festival. Um, You're getting some prestigious year. areas, don't you? Yeah, very and cool. I'm, and I'm doing a Cheltenham Literary Festival, which is, you know, sort of pretty highbrow. And they wanted to do this like weird Q and A and stuff. But just before I walked on stage, um, I was chatting to one of the volunteers about their social media, and uh, they said, "I was like, oh, have you not heard?" Basically, the year before, they brought on this new social media manager who tried to shorten the name to uh, C Lit Fest. And it's so effectively clip fest. Unbelievable. And I was like, and it's like, no one spotted this before you <laughs> ro rolled it out as a Twitter handle or a hashtag or whatever. And uh, um, so that was my kind of running joke of uh, um, amazing of, of clip fest. You know, everybody, I was like, did everybody find them, find it all right? Um, the, <laughs> I'm doing Faversham Literary Festival as well. So, and, and when I, when I get invited to do stuff that is more because of the book, then yeah, I'll do a more, story-based stuff oh and also did um edinburgh fringe around wow. the time of the book and that was again seated and i'd do one or two kind of long stories um from the book or from whatever was going on at the time as well did so you yeah, find, yeah it's... sorry dude did you find you getting like more creative when you stopped partying because you weren't spending half your life hung over did you find your creativity levels ramped up i mean i am still partying <laughs> <laughs> it's just just not doing yeah but no, you're not going like, for two days are you do you know what no, i mean no i mean but i don't think like it, it didn't life didn't really change that much for me you know like maybe you know yeah maybe you've always just been insanely like productive and creative then obviously yeah i mean i suppose i mean the, i guess the truth is is that sort of like the world of beans and toast started becoming sort of more of a sort of um i become i started becoming a lot more popular pretty soon after i did give everything up so so maybe you know that is because of that i don't really feel like it is one did the other but since you know since i've been touring the amount that i have and you know like 
back then it was like two or three festivals a year. I was, I was doing it like Glastonbury and maybe one or two others. And now, you know, it's like 20 festivals, you know, a year. So I've, yeah, I, I don't feel like I've got more or less creative. I've always, you know, like just life. I don't really see me giving up fags and coke as, as, as a, as a big kind of like, step or change in my life it's just you know it's, it's something that happened and everything else was really the same so when you started out and obviously like it was just for fun to begin with and then you know you realize like after a while i can make a living out of this this is pretty cool now i mean your life correct me if i'm wrong but it just seems like you know knowing you the way that i do and, and seeing what you do what a beautiful life you have you know, you've got a lovely little family and you just get to like create on your own terms and put out cool stuff that you, you know, love and your heart and soul is in everything. And it's a business and, and like, you know, you can basically pay your way through the world by doing what you love on your own terms. And everybody I think who's in a band or like, you know, does something creative for a job is fulfilled to an extent. But a lot of people, it seems to be able to do it in a way that pays bills you have to make certain i don't know whether sacrifices would be the right word but you know there's somebody else often calling the shots whereas it seems like for me you're your own boss and you just yeah. get to kind of do your own thing which is rare and special and awesome yes i mean it certainly isn't i mean during obviously the last couple of years being so bad for the sort of music industry musicians as a whole the the fact that we were and when i say we i mean me and my wife because lizzie runs all of my kind of merch store and all of the all of that sort of back-end stuff she does but because we were so diy we were so equipped for everything that happened and we didn't have anybody else to let down it was just you know like we just needed to get the fuck on with it yeah and uh but we had all our systems in place we could sell merch online instantly we had you know we had friends who were already pals with the roll mail delivery office you know lizzie had charmed them with some flowers or whatever and we could we we, we had our, we had these brilliant systems in place and and we just like, like i said it wasn't anybody else relying on us we just utilized it and you know and, and it worked out for us in fact the last the last chapter in the new book um, is about how we, you know, bought this house that I'm now saying now. I mean, we moved out. We got not again, not wanting to spoiler alert, um, but you know, we got handed our notice in London in after the first lockdown. And at the beginning of lockdown, I wouldn't have been in a place where I could put a deposit down. But some magic happened with selling canvases online and. Uh, well, your style as well, that's another really cool thing about the Beans on Toast brand is, you know, you can see that text, that specific font, and you know right away, like, that's a Beans piece right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's just, and it all, it's all just sort of like happened over, over a long time. And I think... So was that, that just a little lyric canvases you were doing in lockdown? Yeah. Yeah, I sold Amazing. a fucking shit ton of them. And, I, and it was, I mean, again, I'd, I would rather send people to the to the book to uh to to get that full story um but yeah so we're down we're down in kent now and and it's you know like so we've got this little studio at the bottom of the garden where all my merch is all all stood here hidden under that <laughs> box from my daughter's birthday party but, um, <laughs> um 
but yeah, now we've got we've got the systems all all in place here, and it was that um, that DIY aspect. But I also think it's probably worth saying that I mean, certainly being your own boss and whatnot. Like the the only reason that I could really get to this point was, I mean, the work that I was doing when I started off doing beans and toast, be it like promoting clubs and putting on putting on shows and sort of managing bands and stuff like that. I always worked within the kind of industry. Basically, yeah, just putting on gigs is probably the easiest way from there and sort of running pubs. But it was like I was always my own boss in that world anyway. And it was always um, I could do me going out and doing beans on toast was kind of like good for the other job because I'd go out and find bands and meet bands and be like, hey, I'm putting on shows in Camden. It all feeds into the same machine, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so also meant that I could I could say yes to every 70 quid gig or every 50 quid gig or every gig for no money that was offered to me for four or five years. I did that and, uh, uh, you know, and hammered it out. And then after that, after five years of, you know, releasing music and stuff, then it's like, okay, now you can, you know, let go of some other things and this can be a, a source of income, which is, um, it is it, probably an explanation as to how, as to why sort of, rich people do well in music if you know what i mean because i had a i had a way of making as much music as i wanted and touring and all that but not needing it to be my a source of income for long enough for it to turn into that which is why i believe in things like universal basic income and you know like i i think that if everybody's given and, and fair enough, I made that opportunity for myself through the other work I was doing and, you know, just being a jammy motherfucker. Um, but I still think that if everybody's given uh, a, a chance to concentrate on something that they love for, and to let it turn into something that they can make a living from, um, well, it just the world would be a better place if everybody could do that, basically. Which doesn't... Doesn't sound to me. I know it sounds like a bit sort of like unrealistic, but I don't see why it should be unrealistic when there's so much money being fucking spaffed up the wall on military and all that shit. I think, well, know. what it sounds, dude, is idealistic, and there's nothing wrong with that because we could all afford to be a little bit more idealistic, I think, and dream. Um, because it's not like an unattainable, unrealistic dream. What you've just laid out. You know, it's there, it's it's within your grasp if you want it. Um, and it's pure as well. If you build it up that way, um, you know, I, I'm a little bit sooner down the line than you, but I am finally, after all my years of grafting, finally beginning to feel like everything that I've done to date is beginning to manifest in a way that, you know, there's people out there who will now, if I put out a book, they'll support it and buy it and they'll listen to the podcast. And if I do a Q and a tour, they'll maybe come to a show. And if I support a band DJ and they'll come to that. And it's like, and we should say as well, without being cheesy, like it is the people who support what you do that allow people like me and you to carry on doing it isn't it? Oh, of course. And, yeah, and yeah. You, that's not cheesy. That's just you that. and Frank have some of the greatest fans that I've seen. Um, and many, you know, artists will all say like, we have the best fans and every fan group I think is different because their relationship with that artist is unique because it's the, the artist sets the tone, right? And the relationship which the fan and the artist shares is not dictated because that's the wrong word, but it's set by the, 
the person making the stuff. And so every, I think, situation is different. But, you know, you've always had, because you're real, you're you. One, one that, thing right? that I always, always makes me happy is when, if I see someone, um, say, at a festival and someone's wearing a bit of Beans on Toast merch and they always say, what a great day they've had because they've met so many new people that come up and be like, yeah. And I was like, that to me, it's like, what, a, you know, like, what an honour that is to be able to just sort of link people up, I guess. Like, so a few people have sort of mentioned it. Be like, if you wear this T-shirt at a festival, it's going to change your fucking day. You know, like people will just sort of like come up, which great. And I guess that's also that sort of being um, existing on the level that I do, where it's, you know, like, I don't know whether as soon as you hit some level of popularity, you know, you're probably not going to go up and talk to everyone in a, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe you would still, you know. I think you'd maybe get like a nod and a nice T-shirt, like a recognition. Yeah. But what you're saying is a beans on toast T-shirt is like a proper conversation starter, and not only well, that. Other people have said it, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I liked. I, I, it makes me happy that it that it could be. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that just like the people who are drawn to your music are like cool, not cool. That's the wrong word. Fun, decent, you know, positive people. Well, that the, the, the feel that they can approach each other just of of that sort of like similarity. Like, I a big, a, a really important um, gig for me. Like, as I said, I worked and went to gigs, um, you know, like for my whole life, and so much so, be it playing gigs. I wouldn't say they were ever throwaway, but like I was so, at, at this time. This was years ago. My kind of stage sort of mentality was a little bit like, oh, who gives a fuck? It's just a gig, blah, blah, blah. And I'd, I'd sort of walk into gigs and watch the show come out. And then Todd Snyder, who I sort of mentioned the book about earlier, um, he never played in London. And he announced this show at the Borderline. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'd never been so excited. I'd never seen him live. I'd never even, I'd, I realised I'd never actually met anybody else that he'd even heard of Todd Snyder. And it's like, and when I went, to the gig at the borderline i took like my parents and my wife and i was just like it was like jay's big night out and we got into the borderline a venue that i'd been in fucking hundreds of times i used to run a club night there you know and uh and i was like i'm in a room full of people that like todd snyder and i was like the guy at the bar like what's your favorite album man? Blah, blah, blah. and it was like it was such an important night for me and i and then and i left being like fucking hell that you know like you need to start looking at your gigs differently and, and other people's, you know, like these can't be just because you've done so many of them and been to so many, they can't be a small thing, you know, like it needs, you need to rise up to the fact that it could be special for some, for someone else. And it was a really, really pivotal, uh, Sort of as like, the performer, you mean when you step yeah, out on stage? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think I probably started viewing other, maybe shows I was putting on a little bit differently as well, but certainly as, as a performer, I was just like that, um, from that experience, I felt like I, le I learned a lot. Yeah. Let me know, uh, just one off the top of your head, a show that changed your life forever. As in like, you're, you're the attendee, you're the punter, you go to a gig and it has such a profound effect on you that you are never the same again afterwards. Hopefully. Well, I mean, way. that was it. Probably. That was it. That Todd Snyder gig. Yeah. I mean, um, other shows i mean probably my favorite live show ever was uh beck at the royal albert hall and i just moved to london so i was like 19 
and I bumped into an old uh, this old friend on the tube, and he was just like, "Mate, do you want a ticket to see Beck?" He was a journalist, and uh, he was he was I, I know him from school, but I, I, it was really weird. And he was like, "Do you want a ticket to see Beck? I've only got one. You'd have to go by yourself." I was like, "Yeah." what the fuck um so i went to the royal albert hall and because he was a journalist it was like four rows back from the stage and beck was doing this like solo performance um where it was just like him a bunch of old guitars and this old piano and he just sat on stage and he told really long stories and you know like he spoke a lot about the stories behind the songs and he played all these songs really calm did like all these blues songs and yeah, and it was just like me and him because I was four rows. I, I didn't even look behind me at the whole of, the, you know, Royal Albert Hall. And it was just like, I guess that, you know, and, it, and that me turning into someone who, you know, is a relaxed on stage and does tell stories and, you know, and is a, a sort of content solo performer, I guess, seeing the, the Beck one. And also from that Beck gig, he did this like massive explanation about slide guitar and why slide guitar is so beautiful. And then I got on the tube on the way home. I got, I changed at Victoria and there was this guy playing slide guitar busking at Victoria tube station. And everyone that got off the tube had been at the gig and was just like, man i fucking love slide guitar and i could see it in this guy's eyes he's like what is happening <laughs> and uh and it was just like money was just twilight zone into, moment like piling into his case and i was like i'm gonna fucking tell him because beck was also doing it was doing two nights so i was like i waited for everyone to go and i just walked up i was like do you want me to tell you what just happened and he was like please what happened and i was like look beck played he did a half hour speech about slide guitar all them people cut, and I was like, "Really? You want to get outside the venue tomorrow?" I was like, "Go to South Kent, and you can like busk at that tube station. You'll have five times the amount of people." I was like, "I'm sure he'll do the same speech." And he was like, "Fucking right on, man! I will." That's a beautiful moment right there, man. And that, again, as you sort of highlighted with your Todd Snyder story, the power of the show when you come out of a gig, that kind of I don't know the wave of optimism and hope that you feel like and that feeling that you just can't bottle or recreate any other way other than in this you know mass gathering situation where there's a performer an artist on stage a storyteller on stage you have a shared experience and you all leave that thing together like wow yeah life's all right isn't it it is so let me tell you about the tour that i've got coming up as there well. you go it's called a segue let's, that is people <laughs> let's get some promo because the <laughs> um it is like, I mean, it is the second half of the Survival of the Friendliest tour. Um, but the musicians that I'm working with, so Jack Flanagan, who from the Mystery Jets, who I made Survival of the Friendliest with, he basically, after we finished the record, he was like, I might be up for some live stuff. Um, and I was sort of looking at piecing a band together for it. I wanted to keep it simple. Anyway, then Kitty from Kitty, Daisy and Lewis, Kitty Leave, uh, she, I, we're good friends. I made the inevitable train wreck with her in her studio in Kentish Town, and I, she's just kicking off her solo stuff basically, outside of Kitty Daisy and Lewis. So I was like, wanted, really wanted her to support, and I was like, would you like to support? And do you want to join my band as well? So Kitty and Jack, uh, we're basically like a free piece. Jack Flanagan, Kitty Leave, and myself. We've got this stomp box called the Wasinator. Do you, do you create these little lineups for each tour? Because yeah, I, I yeah, feel exactly. like you really do. And it gives each one a different feel, doesn't it? And you also get a different experience each time with this kind of, you know, traveling community. Exactly. Feel. Certainly for the album tour. I mean, I'll, I'll generally like 
to tour the album with people that some people that I've made it with or do sort of honor the album in, you know, like in, yeah. in, in a way. And uh, yeah, so this setup came about and I, I mean, they're both like saying about like still partying that we did 15 shows on the last tour before I got COVID. And uh, oh, did you get it? Was, it? Did you? Is that why you had to yeah. wrap up yours? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you about that in a second. It's <laughs> like uh, we, did, we did 15 shows. They're both in their like in their mid 20s. And it's like, it's me and my forties and they're like, you know, like, it's <laughs> they're like, ready to go. It's like, so we did every night, 15 nights. Like, we're going out again. It's like, all right. You know, <laughs> like, um, but it was just both of them, amazing musicians. They'd never really met. And then um, a brilliant uh, girl called Zen doing a merch and driving as well. And it was like three people that had never met that I just, that were all great. And we just all just jumped in this van at the time again, when it was like, you know, Omnicron was rising and we was just, cutting through it and just playing these. I mean, the, the Jack and Kitty, both of them, multi-instrumentalists, are just amazingly soulful musicians. And with this stomp, it's just so, like, just a huge sound. And, uh, and just me just kind of doing my, my thing, you know, in front of it with, with and without the guitar. And, uh, and again, it's going back to how we started, just sort of, like, recounting this, this positive sort of message throughout and just, like, yeah, hopefully giving people, you know, that feeling. And and, just, and my point is, is that we leave in one month's time to go yeah. back. So the first tour in December was the sort of, like, for want of a better word, kind of B markets was in like Stroud and, uh, you know, sort of Reading and stuff like that. And uh, this time around, I mean, I should just bloody read them out, shouldn't I? Being as yeah, as do it, mate. I'm, I'm going to come and see you on this tour as well because it's been so long since I've seen you do like a club show. Yeah, um, man. Well, we're in Bristol at Lost Horizons right at the right towards the end. And amazing. Uh, of February. Uh, end of, in March. So it starts in Feb and we've got, we're doing Liverpool, Leicester, Portsmouth, Brighton, Nottingham, Leeds, Sheffield, Stoke, Hull, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Manchester, Newcastle, Norwich, Oxford, Birmingham, Cardiff, Bristol and London. And some of the venues, I mean, it's basically like a list of my favourite venues in the country. It's like Brudenell Social Club, Gorilla in Manchester, um, Voodoo Rooms in Edinburgh, Wedgwood Rooms in Portsmouth, Chalk in Brighton, Lost Horizons, which is a new venue in Bristol, um, and Lafayette in London, which is also Ben Lovett's new venue. So it's like a list of my favourite venues. And uh, yeah. I mean, tickets are selling well, but we could sell some more motherfucking tickets is the truth. So if you're listening, come along, guys. Come along. And, and never, honestly, I'm not just saying this to be nice, man. I felt it today listening to music. Never has, has the world needed your voice more. Um, and I think that anybody who listens to this show will, if they don't know your music, will be a fan of you after going and seeing it done live. Um, there's just no way that they couldn't be because it's just, it's a night out and it's an experience. And so few, not so few, but certainly few. There are few people, I think, rather than many, who create moments on a nightly basis. And each night is real and it's raw and it's specific to that town and that place. And you've always been that kind of a performer. You know, you never phone it in. You're never just going through the motions. It's never like a scripted, rehearsed fucking, you know, just like cruise control mode. You're there every night in the moment. And yeah, if anybody has never seen you live and they're listening to this, then I highly recommend going down and, and checking right. out the show. Yeah, Dude, man. so how was COVID for you then? How was it? Well, so we was like, we started off the tour and it was like, um, 
just like I said, as Omnicron was rising. And it felt like we were just sort of cutting through the hysteria. I mean, there was nothing COVID safe about the tour at all. You know, it was in small pubs, rammed to the rafters. And I was just like, and the truth is, I was, you know, I, I was sort of almost taking lead from the crowd a little bit. No, I don't give a shit. You know, I wanted, I, I, you know, I was at the merch stand every night. There was high fives. There was hugs. You know, like it human was, contact, baby. Yeah. yeah, it was just, you know, it, it was what it was. I'd jump off stage every night and sing a couple of songs in the middle of the crowd. You know, like, and I think I actually did that every. I made a point of doing that every night because I think it was a little bit like, if you're willing to stand in a crowd, then so am I. Um, kind of vibe um, and but it just felt like as it as the kind of as it got more serious to us in our little bubble doing this every night it felt kind of like let, it was like oh it's just hysteria and then and I also didn't think the lateral flow test worked at all I was doing one every day and I was like I'm doing this because I want to do the right thing but I had pretty much no faith in them things at all. I thought it was just like, what is this strange Fisher Price kits? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was, and then we was in Stoke. Um, and uh, the more it went on, the more cocky we was getting, kind of in jokes and stuff like that. It was just like, I just thought we'd, we'd got that far. Because it's probably also worth saying that I set off on the tour mentally and also financially prepared for the tour not to end. Because my Instagram was just like, tour cancelled, show cancelled. So I was just like, we're never going to get through this, you know, like something's going to happen. So I was sort of like half ready for it. And then we was just like, once we was on the road, it was just like, we're going to fucking do this, you know, and we got right off. We was in the hotel in Stoke, right opposite the venue, just before sound check, probably a little bit late for sound check. And I was doing my, doing my daily lateral flow. And I said to Jack, who I'd been in sharing a, a room with for the whole time, uh, she said, while I was doing it, I said, we've got three more lateral flows and we fucking made it. And then I looked down and saw the double lines. I was just like, I've got COVID. And Jack just grabbed his stuff, ran out of the room. And that was the Did end it? of the tour. <laughs> <laughs> what an unceremonious end. And how, and then, did, did, were, were you sick or were you all right? It was just logistics. It was just logistics. How do you get back from fucking Stoke to Kent, you know, without seeing another human? And there's four of us. We've been in the van together. So it's like all this. And I, I, ended up, I got an Airbnb around the corner from mine here. Just sort of did like I had enough petrol, and like I just fucking I did a PCR test in Stoke, and it just honed it back. Um, and I mean, I was the first cup. I was like, everyone was like, "How are you feeling? Are you feel all right?" And the truth is, I'd been on the piss for 15 nights. You know, <laughs> four years old. I should have felt awful. But I was all right, man. I You've had worse like, come downs then, have you, than COVID? I was like, if it did, I was like, if I was like, if I feel bad, it's gotta be hangover as well. And I was like, sort of mind over matter, like I'm not gonna, you know, like I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, and uh, and I was, yeah, no, you know, no, no symptoms, just logistics. But I also, I got out um, of my isolation on um, on Christmas Day, so I could come and see my daughter. Uh, on Christmas so it was you know like it was what it was we missed out three shows all them three shows have been rescheduled and to the other tour I mean I obviously don't know the science behind it but I believe that I'm immune yeah there you go I haven't <laughs> had it yet touch wood I haven't had it and um, right, yeah. yeah so a bit of natural immunity that covers the next tour is uh is is, is all good for me well this one without jinxing it because I won't 
I'll touch wood again. This is basically in the can, isn't it? This next one. Happy days. Happy days. <laughs> well, dude, listen, I, if I don't um, get to make Bristol because of whatever reason, I'll come to Birmingham. I will come oh, to great. one. I'll come to one of the two and it's going to be great to see you. And um, what's next for you? Just n- another album later in the year as always as standard. Yeah, man, I'm actually working. It's going to, it is going to be a, a, a different one. Um, I don't know. Anything wanna, you can I, t- tell us or not? No, no, but um, it's, 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 it's definitely different it's a huge mix up from what i normally do my next album wow well just keep on doing what you do man because i love it and everybody else does and what's it now 14 albums in how many have you done yeah 14 yeah because it was two two last year so yeah the survivor of the friendliest was was album 14 so this with this one but there's plenty more where that come from of course that'll be be 15 you're never going to stop are you until until like as long as i'm allowed to yeah yeah as long as i'm uh, i'll I'll definitely do it for as for as long as you know like as as, well yeah i'll just keep forever forever yeah forever and ever amen pleasure seeing you mate Um, Mate, thanks so much matt always a pleasure and i'll see you on the road cheers dude Get down if you're up for it Or if you're sick and tired of all of it Maybe riddled with anxiety But still excited about what you're having for tea And for the sake of tomorrow Let's do it today Okay Because the world has always been wild and unpredictable That's half the fun of it Nobody has got a clue But not everybody thinks we're doomed Not everybody thinks we're doomed Because the world has always been wild and unpredictable That's half the fun of it Nobody has got a clue But not everybody thinks we're doomed Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.